Um, let me pray, and we're going to get started, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have an interview. We're going to have a little story time. So, God, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful that you pulled us all together. It takes a lot for us, especially in this season, to get up on a Sunday, to get our kids here, to get our heads here, to get our hearts here, to gather, to participate together to reorder our loves and our longings, to reorient uh, our hearts around who you are and what you've done for us and how we can participate in your kingdom come. And we're here. Some of us are here physically, but maybe not mentally. Some of us are all here, but we're hurting. Regardless of how we got here, what's in our heads and our hearts, we are uh, trusting that you are going to move us somewhere today, that you have something for us, that you, wanna ex- you want us to experience your peace, and, and we trust that. Guide us in this time, we pray. Amen. So we're in a series called Honest Advent, and the goal is to just really be honest. <laughs> Last week, we heard from Randy, who kicked off our whole thing, um, interviewed Sydney and Rob on their expectations and their longing to be married, but they were an ocean apart for too long. Today, I want to interview Eric and Holly Yoakum, and you guys come on up. And um, I sprung this on them last Sunday, and we decided... That um, I shot him some questions, and uh, I think Eric's response was, what? Like, you want me to talk about this? <laughs> um, these two, we just had the honor of being a part of their lives for a number of years. I'm way shorter than you guys right now. This feels weird. <laughs> um, been a part of your guys' lives for a bit, and um, it's been, it really has been an honor. And just to dinner group, and what I've noticed <laughs> this year is it's been a doozy of a year, um, and really beautiful things, hard things, and so I wanted to just give everybody else a sense of what your year's been like, so it's not just 2022, but maybe go back uh, bullet point us a little bit from when you guys moved homes and what has been on your plate. Sure. If you feel like it. I know you probably... Ho- Holly your- has a list to just... Because it's, it's a lot. It's funny because we were, as we were thinking about this, we're like, it's not, it's, like, it's not that bad. But then I think it's, it's when our friends and our like, close community are looking in from the outside, they're like, dude, it's been chaos. We're like, oh, I guess maybe it has been a little bit of a wild ride. Uh, so Holly's going to... Actually, she's going to kind of give us the synopsis here. Okay, so I took it back to September of last year, which is where I feel like... Yeah, I feel like it's a good place to start. Yeah. Okay. So I, this is like super bullet pointed. Um, and, and throughout all of this, you can also keep in mind that we are, we are running a small business at the same time. Right? 
I didn't really yeah. include any of that, but no. it kind of adds a little layer. It's a blanket. <laughs> a medium business. We're running a medium business. <laughs> uh, okay. So it's okay. If you're new to this, Sweet Bloom Coffee. <laughs> we run a coffee company. Okay. So it started off in September with something really awesome, which is we uh, went and lived out of our renovated school bus for a month, and I got to make a record. So I recorded this thing that I've been working on for years, and that was pretty exciting. Yeah. And it goes October, um, we moved house. We moved in with my grandparents into a, a large two-acre property. Um, that was really exciting as well. November, we got settled. <laughs> December... We start making plans for the next year. I'm like really excited to start working on releasing this record. I'm like, okay, next year, you know, maybe I'll tour. We'll see what happens. It's gonna be a great release year. <clears throat> January, I got pregnant. <laughs> Don't know how that happens. Uh, February, I found out that I had something called hyperemesis, which is severe nausea with pregnancy. So. I uh, was pretty sick with our first kid, but the second one was, I had not experienced anything like it before. Mm. So I pretty much, I wrote down, Holly has hyperemesis and gets into bed. <laughs> March. It's funny, but it's very, very true. Like, I didn't get like, out of like my extreme. bed. Except to throw up. Only in, yeah. Uh, March, Holly is in bed. Eric co-parents Levi with my grandma, his mom, and his sisters. Levi just used to come up to my bedside and go, I miss you. Yeah. And I'd be like, <laughs> just weeping. Yeah. Uh, April, repeat of March, Holly's still in bed. Eric's still co-parenting with all the other women in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I finally started medications that started helping at the end of April. Um, and we also found out that my parents petitioned for immigration from Australia to here finally got accepted. Woohoo. And they were going to move into our basement, which was not finished. So then we, <laughs> then we start thinking, oh, we need to work on this basement. I'm still getting over hyperemesis and throwing up all the time. Yeah. Um, we went to Australia to introduce Levi to my family for the first time, even though he was two, uh, and say goodbye to where I grew up. June, we start working on the house to get ready to hold my family. July, they arrive. We didn't finish the house, so it's still a disaster. <laughs> uh, August, we uh, prepared our land to host our niece's wedding. September, we hosted her wedding. We also simultaneously renovated one of our coffee shops, casually. Uh, <laughs> on the side. Oh, we side we barely finished in time for me to go into labor. Then we brought home a baby to a space shared with nine adults. And we got a lesson on germs. Then I got a postpartum infection twice. I got mastitis uh, multiple times. Um, our entire household went, including our newborn, went through. We all got a cold. And then we all had gastro and all were throwing up all at the same time. Then we all got some other mysterious sickness. And then we all started getting RSV. And we tried to keep Jonathan protected from it, but he eventually got it. Um, which then, at five weeks old, sent him to the urgent care, which then sent him to NICU, which we were there for seven days. Mm -hmm. We finally got to go home with oxygen, finally got rid of, the, got rid of that like a, a week or two ago. Yep. Um, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and now we're here. 
and now it's December, and all I have written for December was I didn't put out an album. And we made it, to, and we <laughs> made, all. and we've made it to church once this, <laughs> yeah. in December. So we're on a streak. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Life, I, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the things, the reason why I wanted to talk with you guys is because it seems like just looking at that bullet point that there wasn't a lot of peace. But my question is, is that in the midst of all that stuff, where did you sense any of, in a sense, God's peace woven in life hmm. the last year? Sure. Um, we've been we've been talking about this. This isn't just off the cuff. So we've had a, a little, little minute to kind of think about it. Reflect. Yeah. We've had to really reflect on it. And the, the like, you asking the questions was a good like force of us having to sit in front of people and ask that question. So or answer that question. But you also uh, Ryan when he was like, hey, here's a bunch of questions. Don't give the like ribboned up Christian answer. And I was like, buddy, you're not going to get the ribboned up <laughs> Christian answer. I can promise you that. Um, but there's there's a temptation I think to like try and find that in this setting and be like well let's here's the little frosting on the on the burnt cake, um, but uh, as we've been like contemplating that together, um, we were talking this morning I think well I, I want to back up a little bit because um, to, to just a tiny bit of the story particularly when when Holly had hyperemesis there was twelve straight weeks of her just literally being in bed and I cannot it's not an exaggeration just in bed like throw up pee and that was it that was like that was the only time yeah <laughs> it's not the ribboned up christian answer uh um, i actually love how uh scott the painter like mm-hmm. paints the 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 uh the birth story it's like kind of gross and like he brings that in and so like all of this is just kind of chaos and gross but um that was a really de- like depressing time for holly like super super depressed um, and I could do nothing to fix it. Um, and um, it's something you like. You've kind of come to learn to accept, but it's also very, very hard at the same time. Um, and so I'll say that, like uh, Holly used an example yesterday. It's like we we kind of feel like in this sort of the chaos of this this last year, sort of our lives. Some of it's like some of it's brought on by ourselves of just always wanting a project or always saying yes to the next thing, but some of it's just thrown at us. And um, I'll use the analogy. It's like when you're, if you're like in a shipwreck and you're like chucked, chucked into the waves and crazy and you're just trying to survive the waves, but you didn't realize you like lost your, your toe and it's like bleeding out. It's like not, it's just a toe. It's not that bad, but you, but you don't realize like if you're just continuing to sort of survive the waves and you never get to really attend to the toe that's bleeding out and whatever. Um, and so I think that even though we're like, it's not that bad, it's like, it's, we're, we got to just do this thing. Like, there's still things that just really haven't been attended to as it like, just like the chaos continues to pile on. And in this time of her, um, in, in, in this time of her hyperemesis and sort of really dark, de- depressed time, it's also funny that in that moment we can find, like for me, and it, there's like a little bit of guilt because she didn't get to experience this. I was finding beautiful times with with um, with Levi. It was just me and Levi all the time. He's my little shadow. And when I could get help, I got a lot of help, and that was that was awesome. Um, but there was like beautiful 
moments and like really beautiful, peaceful times um, there. But at the same time, my wife is just in agony in bed. Yeah. Um, so that was, it's a weird juxtaposition at that moment. Um, there's more, but I'll let you add into that. I, I don't know. I struggled answering the peace question yeah. because part of me thinks that there was a lot of peace because maybe we, we didn't feel like our year was actually that bad, even though it sounds terrible. And maybe we were, I was thinking maybe that's peace for me. Like maybe I had an underlying current of like, it's, this is okay, mm-hmm. even though it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I landed on it. Cause it's not, not like I ever felt right. other than the 12 dark weeks of life when I was in bed. Um, I never felt like completely hopeless. Yeah. yeah. I felt like there was, yeah, I felt like there was a general, the general direction was okay, even though mm-hmm. I had no control over what was happening. Yeah. And Holly, I'm just going to, this isn't one of the questions, but I'm feeling it. When it comes to the album, expectations, mm-hmm. how do you wrestle, I mean, how do you experience peace in the sense of, I had this expectation that by now, that all these other things push that down the road a bit. I mean, you mentioned right here at the end, December, still don't. <laughs> yeah. What goes on with you there? I think that maybe, uh, I think in life it's easy for me to find peace. I think as far as my album goes, that's probably where I am lacking in the most peace mm. because that's something that I've wanted for a really long time mm. is to put out music and have people listen to it and share that with people. And... That's something that hasn't happened for me for a really long time, and this was finally it happening yeah. again. Um, so I think, I think that there's something in me that I do find it easy to trust that things are happening when they're supposed to happen, and this is, it's everything's going to be fine. And we have I've always wanted a beautiful family, and I have that. And maybe I don't have this other thing I've always wanted, but I'm I think that things are happening in the order they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely hard for me to let go of the fact that I'm still not doing the one thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that we struggle with a lot in our lives is that we think that peace is the absence of conflict. Mm. Right? Which, when I was looking up the definition, that's all that's out there. It's like mm-hmm. the absence of the absence of war, the absence mm-hmm. of conflict, or the absence of interruption. And we were like, oh... Yeah, definitely we don't have peace then. <laughs> but, but then we were like, well, the, that's not what we're talking about. So I don't know. It's like the same word for like 10 different things. Because right. that's not the peace I think we're talking about, right. really. Exactly. And when we bring that into our, con- our, our conversations in Advent about peace, there's sometimes a disconnect. Mm. Because we're looking around our lives and we have relational conflict. We have... America, we have um, we have a lot of things that just don't seem at peace, and so we go, how can we join what what biblical peace is to you know and, and have, have that replace what we think peace is? Mm-hmm. And peace would be the absence. It's not the absence of conflict, but it's this idea of shalom, things working how they're supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, in the midst of the craziness of your life. And I hope you don't hear from me. Uh, your life's insane. 
and I, you can say that we're not we're not bummed. You, oh. Yeah, <laughs> this, I know you, sometimes as friends you look at and they're really going through a lot, um, and you are, and hopefully not every. You're like, how can we make 23? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this idea of like, where, yeah, where has, where do you need, I guess, shalom? Mm. Um, and, and some of that might be in your expectations, you know, like we all do. We all have expectations that are unmet. Mm. Um, and where do you, where have you seen shalom, peace, in other people? lives or other stories, I guess. I just had to ask Ruben if I can talk about him. It's the first time. Yeah. In multiple ways, like it's, it's, it's people. I, I would say like, I was just thinking about this idea of like peace being with a storm, which is like the perfect analogy of a nearly three-year-old, which is like just mass chaos. And it's so fun. It's just incredible. And yet that's been like, being a dad has been a place of peace, even in the like di- diaper changes and all that stuff. But um, I think experiencing it outside of our own story is walking alongside it with Ruben and Sarah and just their story this year and, and watching them also go through some hard stuff, which if you don't know, that's their business to tell you, but going through hard stuff and then just coming through that and, and, um, and now celebrating the arrival, the, the anticipation of a child of their own, which is a beautiful thing. Um, that's been a lot of peace and that's been a lot of like redemption in that moment. Um, and then also Ruben's been like side by side in all of our and Sarah, too, um, have been side-by-side in all of our crazy projects. Anytime we're doing mm-hmm. some sort of building project, Ruben's right next to us. Yeah, so. your bullet list is... It's Ruben's. Overlapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this is really good, and I really appreciate you guys sharing a little bit. I would encourage you, church, um, we are a church that shares stories, and they're not all buttoned up and perfect, um, but it's partly what it looks like to follow Jesus together. The together part, as you guys uh, highlighted with the Kropitschkas, is a beautiful thing. Because doing, it's, it's impossible to follow Jesus alone, especially when um, we think there's some linear progression to it. You know, some perfect, well, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And um, we're supposed to avoid all this conflict because we follow Jesus. Mm. And that's not the case, as we're going to see today as we talk about the story of John. So thank you guys so much for doing this and being up here and being vulnerable. So can you guys give them a hand? And Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Absence of conflict. He wants... Do you want to clap, Levi? Oh, what do we do now? Yes. <laughs> Keelan, you want me to switch to this? Okay. We love you, Levi. Hang in there, buddy. Okay. Here we go. John 1, chapter 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want you to think for a second of some famous opening lines. Anybody like to read in here? Two of you. You should get this then. Beginning of a book goes like this. Just blurt out when you get it. It was the best of times. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like more of you read. You knew that was coming? Did you? Okay. All right, this is for some of you who are a little younger. Oh, man, it's for all of you. It's for all of you. Don't want to get ageist on you here. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive. There we go, Harry Potter. A little bit less lowbrow, maybe, than A Tale of Two Cities, but very magical. Um, if I was to say, in a galaxy far, far away, the nerds would revolt, be excited. Yeah. These are famous opening lines. The reason why I bring that up is because if you were a Jewish person and you got a letter at your church from one of the last surviving apostles, John, up to this point, Peter's been executed. A number of the apostles are all gone, but John is still alive. And John is in Ephesus, and he's penning a letter, his account of the gospel. And he starts with, in the beginning. And he starts with that line because that line is, if you are a Jewish person, that, that is like Genesis. That is like God starting to do what God does. And you think, oh, I know this story, right? He's telling our story. He's telling the story of our people. But then John does something amazing. He uses this next phrase, and it grabs a whole different group of people. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And for all the Gentile people... This was their story. The word means, the word in Greek is logos. And that word is this rational principle by which everything existed. If you were a Stoic philosopher, um, this would be the basis by which you talked about existence. Philosophy is about deconstructing everything we know to be true in order to get to the essence of what is. And for the Greeks, logos is the floor. It's the base level of philosophical deconstruction. And so it was the term the Greeks used to say, if you strip everything down to its essence, to its core, there's something there that makes existence possible and so no matter what that substance is, we can all agree to call it logos. And John knows what he's doing. He's telling a story 
and he's including two different groups of people right off the bat. In the beginning was the Word. And after this, because real quick, after this gathering, uh, some of you will run out here as fast as you can. Some of you will kind of hang out and mingle a little bit. Um, some of you know each other. Listen, we get that coming to a church gathering it's a, is a hard thing, and it's courageous to do that if you're new. Um, but coffee and donuts helps a little bit. But you might get into a conversation, or you might be at a holiday party this year that's awkward, you know? It's like your spouse's work party, and you don't know anybody. And you're standing there, or you're standing there after church here today, and you overhear somebody say something in a conversation a little, a little bit away, you know? And, and maybe they bring up your hometown. And your, your ears kind of perk up, and you're like, oh, do they know my hometown? Does somebody over here know? Or, or maybe somebody's name gets brought up, and they're like one of your best friends, right? I mean, think about that feeling. That's what's happening here with John. He's saying, in the beginning was the word, and, and two different groups of people are like, okay, I'm interested. I hear you're, you're telling my story. You're telling the oldest story. And the word was God, and, and he was with God in the beginning. John is announcing the logos is the theos. That the apex of, he takes the apex of Greek thought and he places it in the center of Jewish thought and he's making the most compelling claim on the nature of reality. That the principle that holds the world together is a person. And there's plenty of creation stories out there. Different religions have different creation stories, and usually they all involve some, some kind of an epic battle in which their deity wins. But John's summary is proposing a different theory, that in the beginning was this triune God of love, and, and this God experienced this selfless love amongst himself. <laughs> in three persons, very mysterious, very beautiful, very complex. And, he, and, and God experienced selfless love and desired to share it with another. And this core principle is of love, not power. And it's a profoundly different starting place than anything else. And John starts his account, not with a nativity scene, not with uh, a genealogy like Matthew, he offers this beautiful picture of love that in the beginning was the word and this self-love spills out for Jews and for Gentiles, for everyone. This guiding principle that holds the world together is a person divine, defined by love. And he draws the temple and the Parthenon and the oldest story together and he says there's a second chapter. It says this in verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
He's bringing that Genesis thing, you know, darkness and light, and, and he's bringing all that in. And, and John's basically one of his themes all throughout his gospel, all throughout his account of Jesus, is light and dark. Light crashing into the dark. The light of all mankind. It says, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was, has not overcome it. Now, what I love about John's account is at this point, there's a huge switch. And this is where we're going to land today. The beginning of this account, big, heady, philosophical, you know, creation, cosmos. And then he switches on a dime to a circumstance. Check this out. This is the account of John the Baptist. Different John, if you're new. John the writer says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So the writer John encountered John the baptizer a lot earlier in his life. Now, this is, I was, I actually woke up this morning thinking about how crazy this is. The apostle John was a disciple, an early disciple of Jesus one of the 12. And he had to be about 15, 16, 17 years old. We got anybody 15, 16, 17 close? How old are you? 13? Yeah? You guys? Almost 15? All right. So we got a 15. <laughs> hey, ballpark. We're talking ballpark here, okay? John, does anybody know how old John was when he wrote this gospel? Way older. Older. You're real close. So let's talk about this for a second. For those of you who are in your late 60s, early 70s, think back to a person that captured your imagination when you were 15, 16, 17 years old. My guess is that John, the writer, the disciple, when he was walking with Jesus, Jesus and John the Baptist are very similar in age. You can look it up. And Jesus goes to John the baptizer and gets baptized. And it's a beautiful picture and then later on, John runs into some trouble. It's not a beautiful circumstance. John the baptizer's, the end of his life was a little rough. He gets put in prison, and he becomes a party favor. His head becomes a party favor to a royal party. And he's in prison, and if you want to read about this, Matthew 11, 
he sends word to Jesus. John the baptizer is somebody who's called to prepare the way of Messiah. He sends word to Jesus and he says, are you the one or should we keep looking? Like, (laughs) I think you're the one, but I'm in prison and it's not looking good for me. Are you the one or should we keep looking? And Jesus' reply is, I'm the one. (laughs) This is it. And here's the thing that's wild about this story is John the Baptist's life does not end with puppies and rainbows. It's a rough life ending. And what I love about this story, if you were to make up a religion, this doesn't seem like this would be the way it would go. And when, on, when we talk about honest Advent, by the way, we have some devotional books in the back based on Scott Erickson, the painter, um, his book. Our series is based on his book, which is in the back. There we go. That's better words. It is honest. It is earthy. It is messy. It is human. I love this quote by Dorothy Sayers. She says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. So in a sense, we've got a God whose promises are big, whose, whose as we see in the beginning of John, are glorious and, and, and beautiful. And then from John's perspective, this is John the baptizer, how can redemption hurt this much, right? He's sitting in prison. He's asking this question, is this it? Or should we expect someone else? Now, you and I know this question. We know this question because of stories like Eric and Holly, like your life, like my life. We know this question. You don't get very far in the life of faith or into life for that matter, whether it's you have faith or not, without asking the question, how could this possibly be it, right? John was in the midst of a season I think, in prison of what I could only call mature waiting, wrestling. And we know that place. Because if I was to like pull us from the, the, this whole year or the last couple years, um, we know that place because I've talked to some of you that have had round after round of resumes that you've put out for work. 
Some of you have had round after round of chemo. Another negative on a pregnancy test. Another underwhelming first date. (laughs) Another specialist. Another gray winter day. Another shift at the same old job. And you and I have this groaning inside that says, is this it? How can this be it? So are you the guy or should we look for someone else? And maybe you're asking some version of that question right now. Are you the guy or should we be looking for somebody else? Psalm 131 is called the shortest psalm to read and the hardest one to master. Let me read this to you. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty, which we use that all the time, haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Now, let's dig into verse 2. An unweaned child is controlled by their needs. Right? We love kids, but every need is urgent with an unweaned child, every need. The only peace an unweaned child gets is when their need is met, okay? But it's the false peace of a, of a need met. The psalmist is trying to draw us into a, a deeper maturity. That growth Comes and it becomes this deeper uh, piece of presence. Like a weaned child, okay, he calls himself a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I'm content. What is this weaned child content with? Presence, right? Presence is ultimately peace. What I think John experienced in prison was presence. Peace is not the end of the wait. It is the presence of, as the psalmist says, my mother in the waiting. And this is a beautiful picture of God. This is one of the places in Scripture that God has this female attribute. Scripture tells us of a deeper peace, a kind that is not given by this world because it did not come from this world, okay? And so that's where we're kind of wrapping up with today, the peace of presence. Peace is God's presence in the waiting, not the end of the waiting. I, uh, some of you guys remember HUD, my guy. He, he spoke a few times this summer. He's a coach for me in my life. 
And one of the things I was wrestling with in my entrance to sabbatical last summer was practicing silence and solitude. And um, I came back and shared with you about silence and solitude and that it's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. It's really hard to settle your heart and your mind and your thoughts and all the things. And I was really uh, not looking forward to doing that at all. If you've ever done silence and solitude, you just feel like you're about to explode, especially if you're an extrovert like myself. And and I was expressing to him frustration about practicing this. Um, Do I have to? You know, it's like an unweaned child actually throwing a tantrum. And he says, I I remember writing this down. He's like, I hope you hear what I'm about to tell you. And I hope you hear it all the way down to your toes, he said. (laughs) It's weird. Um, But he, he was basically like, I hope you really hear it. When you're waiting... And that's what silence and solitude is. You're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. Which, if you don't remember, I really needed my soul to grow up. If you can't be still and wait, you can't become who God created you to be. And it's been a wrestle for me. Trust is our part of the whole peace business. That's that's our part we play. And you and I are always asking the question, really with our lives and with our heart, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And we look for someone else all the time. We try to find peace other ways. We try to wrap things up, solve things, fix things, remove ourselves from conflict because we think that's where peace comes from. But waiting is where we either discover peace or get eaten alive with anxiety. And then verse 12, let's continue. We're almost done. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson's full translation in the message of, first, of John 1.14 goes like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, and this is my favorite part, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Oh, I love that. This is not an escapist God, but a with us God. A God we may not uh, be able to perfectly understand. Like if you're coming to this church and you're like, I hope he gives me some certainty. (laughs) No, this is a God that you're not going to be able to perfectly understand, but a God that we can perfectly trust. A God that even if he hasn't chosen yet to make all the suffering go away, wears the suffering alongside of us and waits with us. 
This is a story big enough to connect the dots of the cosmos and creation and a story that is personal enough to connect your suffering, your loss, your anger, your pain, your embarrassment, your unmet expectation, and your disappointments. And said the world did not recognize him. But who did? I just want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to be tethered to these people in the Advent story. Elizabeth, an older, infertile woman who became pregnant in advanced age. She knew something about waiting. Mary and Joseph, family disowned them, kind of a weird, you know, like teenage love story. They got shunned. She had labor in, in a barn, and they lived as refugees in Egypt for a while. Simeon waited his whole life for Messiah, but was way too old for the highlight reel. Anna, widowed 84 years, spent her life fasting and praying, waiting for Messiah. The shepherds, like Randy talked about last week, the people no one wanted around, especially in the temple. Their profession was necessary, but they were outcasts, and many of them were orphans and were the ones at work in the fields with these sheep, kind of as like outcasts. And these were the night shift version of the outcasts. The graveyard shift, lowest on the totem pole, wasn't the priest's. but it was the people who had their hopes kind of squashed. People who were wrestling with waiting. So the question for us today is, can you recognize him? A God who moves into your neighborhood, who wears your burdens alongside of you? And I think the problem for us is, is not that peace is so far off, what if the problem is that we don't understand the peace as, peace as the Bible means it, as Scripture means it? And we're asking the question, are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? Because here's the thing. When you're connected with people in relationship, um, you feel life when it hits them. Okay? And that's a good thing. And that's a hard thing, but it's a good thing. It can be beautiful because you celebrate all the great stuff. And it can be really, really painful because you're feeling their life and their pain and their devastation and death and loss and all that, all that stuff. But when we ask, are you the one? Jesus is answering, yes, I want, to be, I want you to be like a weaned child content with my presence, to put your hope in me both now and forevermore, like the psalm says. And so today, here's what I want to do to close. I want to challenge you to make time and space for reflection. Very busy season. Look at my watch right now going, man, it's flying by. 
full, we were talking this morning, Angela and I, about our calendar. Yours is probably nuts too. But I want you, I'm gonna encourage you, this is homework, this is please do this. This is me appealing to you to make time and space in the next 24 hours. Studies say if you don't do it within the next 24 hours, when you're thinking about doing something, you will not do it. I want you to reflect. And we have questions on our website, but I'm gonna throw them on the screen here in a second. Do it today. I mean, the Broncos are about to start losing in 10 minutes. So, <laughs> um, and I mean to have you reflect because it is hard work and it's good work. It's good work. It is always 100% of the time good work. And so, but here's the thing. I've been reflecting myself. And so I'm going to not just tell you to do it. I've already done it. And I'm going to share my reflection with you. It's like we're in a small group. And I'm going first. Is that cool? I'm going to try my best. Um, the first question, these are, um, I wrote, is through Jesus' incarnation and the Holy Spirit's indwelling, we have access to God's peace in the midst of our fear. Where have you encountered this peace? And I've been reflecting on my year, not just last week, but on my year. And one of the ways I've encountered this peace is through the practice of Sabbath. And I haven't made it like a super ritual. Um, I know some people light a candle to start their Sabbath, and there's a lot of things, and they're really pushing things out of their lives. But I'm just talking about Sabbath moments or Sabbath stretches throughout Friday night, Saturday, things like that. And that's where I've experienced the most peace. Because one of my things is, is learning how to embrace my limits as a human being, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as an aging person like many of you. And I've experienced peace in slowing down my mind, my schedule. Um, the last few weeks, we've been just going. It's been a lot of fun. We've had guests from out of town um, and, and a lot of things happening. But yesterday, I got a, about an hour and a half of reading and journaling in peace. Where have you encountered this peace? Oh, I already answered that. Where are you still experiencing fear? And where do you need to experience greater peace that it's, that's on offer through God's presence? Guys, one of the constant themes in my life that comes up over and over again is I don't feel like I've done enough. I don't feel like I've connected with as many people or I've done enough on my sermon or I've planned enough or I've met with any police officers lately or what I don't feel. There's this theme in me that I don't feel like I've done enough and that fear creeps up. Where, do you, where are you feeling the absence of something and needing the presence of someone? More and more as a pastor and as a chaplain, I feel like I'm out of tools. I feel like the church in this world is changing and the world is changing and what we used to do as the church and where we need to go as a church. And there's so many times that I just find myself out of tools. 
And the beauty is that there is a number of people around me that we pray about this together. Leadership team, staff. There's a new season in the life of the church, not just ours. And what I'm encouraged by and where I've been encouraged is that the early church um, had the same work of the Holy Spirit all the way back then, and that same Spirit's working now. And then finally, beyond your story, where have you seen peace come to earth this year? And this is an honest thing, through you. Through the Holy Spirit in each of you, reflecting on my year, I ran into myself hard last March. I've shared some of this with you when I came back from um, sabbatical and um, I was cared for by the leadership team and the staff. You guys trusted the process. There was a lot of patience. And it gives me great encouragement to move forward. And these are my questions I've answered. I've just, I'm encouraging you to be honest in them. Um, peace is not about the absence of conflict, but about the presence of God. And peace is when God steps into creation and sets the world right. And it might be something you've overlooked. And so today we're going to end and we're going to participate together in this. Um, we're going to do something that I've started doing with you in periodic ways throughout the fall, and we're going to pray for each other. Now, what we're going to do is like we've done before, we're all going to stand, not yet, we're all going to stand and, um, and be prepared to participate in praying peace over others. So what I want you to do is, quietly as you can, stand up. And if you find yourself just by reflecting on Eric and Holly's story, your own story, the scripture, if you find yourself in a place right now in your life where you need peace, you need God's shalom, you need to experience God's presence right here, right now, in your head, in your heart, in your life, I'm going to ask you to sit down. If you would like to be prayed for, if you would like to experience the presence of God, the peace of God right now, please sit. And this is a community is going to actively pray for you. And we're going to take the next couple of minutes, and if there's somebody sitting nearby, circle around them. You don't need to know their story. If you feel comfortable putting a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. And then Randy and I will close us out. Go ahead. <laughs> 